We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is a Locker Room Production. Welcome back, everyone. This is the New York Giants Big Blue Banter live Q&A. Myself, Nick Collado, Big Blue Banter Boys. We're here to talk a little Giants football with you guys. We did our first one of these bad boys. Well, not our first, but our first one in a while. This past weekend on Saturday, we had about 10 of you. Looks like David just joined, so that's awesome. We got one person in already. About to shout this out on Twitter. Yeah, so just like last one on Saturday, all you have to do is hit that microphone button, ask to speak. Once you do that, we'll get you in the room. We'll start chopping it up. We'll talk Giants football with you guys, and we'll go from there. So it looks like we got Victor and David in the room at the moment, and David wants to speak, so let's get him on. What's up, David? Hey, how are you guys doing? Hey, man, what's going on? Where First, uh, let us know where you're from and everything like that. Um, I'm originally from Long Island, but I've been living in Maryland for quite a while. Nice, David. David, you an Islanders fan? Uh, Not really a hockey guy. (laughs) Gotcha, gotcha. (laughs) Me either, David, me either. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I go uh, Giants, Yankees, Knicks, so. (laughs) It's a good cluster of teams right there. Yeah. So, um, I wanted to... It seems like the the list of players that's available is a little heavier on the defensive side of the ball um, after the tags came out. So I wanted to think, see what you guys thought of this. You know, instead of going big spend in wide receiver, spend the money for edge and corner and then go heavier in the draft, wide receiver, offensive line within those first two rounds. Some good guards available in the second round possibly. Yeah, so I guess I'll start this off, and then you could jump in, Nick, and let me know your thoughts on this. For me, 
I generally try to avoid the edge position in free agency. In my mind, if you do, if you are a team lucky enough to locate an edge in the draft, you're not going to let him hit free agency, especially not coming off of his rookie deal. So while there are a few intriguing names, Carl Lawson comes to mind. He's going to he's going to require a whole lot of money. I mean, whoever signs Carl Lawson, I think is going to make him one of the highest paid defensive ends just by the nature of what you said. I mean, these guys don't hit the market very often at the edge position. You look at some of the edge deals that have preceded this class. Olivier Vernon, that was a bust. Um, major contract. He, the Giants actually made him the highest paid defensive end at the time. Jadeveon Clowney, it hasn't worked out well there either. Um, and so so on and so forth. It's very tough to locate edges in free agency. Having said that, what you said is right. I mean, it's a really, it's a much deeper free agent class in general on the defense side of the ball. I'd be interested in looking into a couple low-end guys, a Hassan Reddick potentially, if he ends up being more of a bargain type deal because A, he doesn't fit every system, but he does fit the Giants system. B, he's kind of a late bloomer. You know, he was never really a productive player in spite of his, his draft tag until the Cardinals moved him out to the edge and took him and put him in a new role. So he's someone who intrigues me for sure. If Bud Dupree is willing to take a one-year prove-it deal, he intrigues me as well. And that corner, like you said, there is a lot of depth there. And I'm always down to add corners. I'm a big believer in corners, big believer in the importance of the position in today's NFL. So for me, it would be kind of more bargain hunting and potentially, you know, looking at that range of free agency. I don't know how you feel about this one, Nick. No, I tend to agree with you. I was thinking about combinations, David, because you mentioned wide receiver and interior offensive linemen for the for the, through the draft. And I was thinking about an Alabama combination, something Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman would both be in favor for of Jalen Waddell and then Dickerson in the second round. I know he's recovering from the ACL injury, but I think he's the type of player that both Gettleman and Judge would absolutely fall in love with. And I think he has the positional versatility. He doesn't have to play center if they want to keep Nick Gates there. I think that would be an intriguing option, but I tend to agree with Dan. I don't want to go and spend a boatload of money on a Shaq Barrett or Yannick Ngakwe. I do like Hassan Reddick, but he might have played himself into this massive contract as well after having a double-digit sack season. So I think I, I tend to lean towards Dan, looking at someone maybe like a Tano Passanio or somebody a little cheaper, unless Bud Dupree would be willing to take a smaller deal coming off of his injury, but that's just not a certainty. I, I would think, you know, instead of thinking about one-year prove-it deals, you would think about two-year deals with player outs just as a way to maneuver the cap. Um, so maybe like a, a second-year player option so that they can push some of that money into the second year, being that they're going to be very limited about what they can actually spend on this year's cap. So that might be a, a way around, uh, you know, some of these guys, you know, uh, whether it be a Reddick or a Dupree, you know, there's, there's a lot of guys that are available. And with uh, some of the teams more up at the cap, you know, maybe their numbers might come down a little bit. I think the same thing might play out at the veteran uh, offensive guard market. Uh, there's a lot of veterans that are being cut loose, you know, so normally you wouldn't be able to get a good value on a guard. Uh, in free agency, but you may be able to get someone for for less than you know the normal twelve million. Maybe you get someone for about eight uh, for that position because of the glut of veterans on the market. Yeah, that's yeah. that's sorry, Dan. That's if the yeah, Giants tried to restructure something with Kevin Zeitler, bring his money down because he wouldn't be able to garner the same type of contract on the open market with there being guys like Joe Tooney, Gabe Jackson, and players like that also around. That could be an option if the Giants can't restructure anything with Zeitler before March 17th. Yeah, I, I almost, to be honest with you, David, I almost look at it very similar to Edge. It's a different kind of idea there for me, but it's mostly if there's a good guard, 
and he's aging and he's released. There's a reason he's released. Teams aren't going to get rid of offensive linemen if they're productive. And what you're going to introduce to the Giants would be a guy who's never played alongside Nick Gates, a guy who's never played alongside Andrew Thomas or Matt Parrott or whoever's going to end up at that other tackle spot, and a guy who, who may or may not be a fit for the system or may or not, you know, have played within a system that's heavy and predominant in power and gap blocking. So I don't know. I feel like when it comes to the offensive line, I definitely prioritize continuity. I, me and Nick are both kind of on the record of saying it doesn't seem like it based on maybe the PFF grade and kind of the overall sentiment on Giants Twitter or wherever you might find analysis. But Kevin Zeitler was really good on tape last year. He was really, really good. He had a four-game stretch where he struggled a little bit, but even in that stretch, it's nothing like the struggles we're talking about with a Shane Lemieux or even a Matt Parrott for really the back end of the season or even an Andrew Thomas for those first seven games. So with the exception of Gates, there really wasn't a more consistent lineman. So I get it. I totally, I'm totally. i starting to see both sides of the coin there, David. I, I understand $14 million is a lot of money to pay for an aging guard, aging to an extent, and someone who's not elite at his position. But I need a I need a good alternative if I'm going to go to that veteran free agent guard market. I understand you're saving some cap space, but ultimately, I, I just got to be honest with you, David. I don't feel as pressed by the cap stuff as a lot of people, uh, as a lot of other people do. If you look forward, a the new NFL deal is going to turn the cap. They they project the cap could be 250 million in five years. Yeah. And so, B, B, even the Giants' cap situation as it is right now in 2022 and 2023 is extremely healthy. And that's assuming, you know, they don't obviously extend someone like Evan Ingram, who we don't personally think they will. And, you know, even if they do give Leonard Williams that huge contract, it's really just Leonard and Bradbury on the cap for massive, massive deals. So, I don't know. For me, ultimately, I don't feel as cap-strapped, I guess, as, as everybody else does. But maybe that's clouding my judgment a bit. No, I agree with you on the cap. So, yeah, I'm right with you. Thanks for uh, talking to me tonight. Uh, I love the I love the show. Listen to it every time it comes out. Appreciate all the work you guys do. Dude, appreciate you coming on. And appreciate you listening to all, to all of our shows. It's awesome, man. It's great to have okay. you on. All right, for everyone else who's in the room right now and may not know, we got some speaker requests in. We're going to get to them in order of the request. But if you guys want to jump on and talk Giants football with us, make sure you hit that microphone button at the bottom right of your screen. I kind of put a message, a little bit of directions in the chat. But hit that microphone button, hit request to speak, and then that will give us an order uh, for who requested when. And we're going to get try to get to all of your questions. So next up, it looks like we've got Stan who requested next. So we're going to throw Stan in here and here. What's going on, Stan? How you doing, Stan? Hey, guys. How you doing? What's up, Stan? Where are you from? We like to ask everybody uh, where they're from. Yeah, yeah. So um, I grew up in North Jersey, Morris County. Oh, same um, here. Same here, Stan. Where at? Good stuff. Um, near Roxbury? Yeah, man. I grew up in Netcon. That's incredible. That's amazing. <laughs> it's a small world. Good times, man. man. You know, I, I, I wish I realized that that was going to be a small part of my life. I wish I had kind of enjoyed all the all the quirks of Jersey, but um, <laughs> I grew up in a real conservative family. We weren't allowed to go to the shore or anything. So I I, I only have the bad, I guess, the uh, stereotypical experiences from Jersey. Well, you got to gotcha. make it back then. I, we'll show you some <clears throat> good parts here. And, and one thing we also want to get to now, and we haven't done it, but if you can give us a little bit of a insight into how you became a Giants fan. Yeah, well, and, and I'll say as well, I'm in Greenville, South Carolina now, and there's actually a lot of Giants fans down here, believe it or not. Um, How I became a Giants fan, so I actually, um, my, uh, I I won't get into too much detail here, but the long story short is 
Um, I was a I was a Jersey sports guy. I was a big Devils fan, big Nets fan. Um, but I because they rivaled New York teams, I tended to not like the New York teams. And um, in terms of the Giants, I came around to the Giants because my dad is from uh, Philly area, and he would just always tease me about you know my teams uh you know the nets and and the devils and whatnot were always big rivals with the philly teams and he would always tease me about them and i was like you know what giants play you know they play in jersey screw this i'm gonna be a giants fan just to you know tick off my dad um because of all the all the uh eagles nonsense and uh so anyway that that as a as a little kid i made that decision and I, I grew to love the game of football watching uh, Dover High School uh, football games. I, I, there was a guy that went to my church that was uh, a real good player for them. And, uh, yeah, the rest is history. Awesome, man. So what do you want to talk about tonight? <clears throat> yeah, so um, first off, I left you guys a review. Um, I don't leave too many uh, podcast reviews, but I left you guys a review recently. Kind of yes. joke. We kinda, love kinda, that. <laughs> Yep, yep. I left you guys a nice little joke about the, uh, you know, the different corpses that are on the Giants <laughs> oh team. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, and, yeah, so if we can stay away from corpses and, and <laughs> Nick uh, music takes, I think we'll be good. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I was curious. Uh, so I, I actually didn't listen to the to the pressers today. I saw a lot of Giants Twitter about it, so I'm not going to be asking about that. Um but here's what's been going on in my in my head is if this team has a repeat offensively in 2021 of what they did in 2020, um, what happens at that point? And how do you, how will I? Let me ask you this: How will you guys try to parse between? Okay, we need to move on from DJ, or we need to move on from Garrett, knowing that you guys will instinctively preferred to move on from Garrett because we all want to move on from him. Um, but like, how would, how would you actually like analytically look at that and be like, okay, this is more on DJ than it is on Garrett or vice versa. For me personally, it wouldn't even necessarily <laughs> come down as much to numbers. I think the numbers are incredibly important. You need to score points 31st in scoring and yards just can't cut it. And that's collective. It's not solely on Jason Garrett, but it's what I see on tape is Daniel Jones progressing. Has Daniel Jones is Daniel Jones. Keep making those same mistakes that we saw him make a little bit this year, but then he would show signs of progression and signs of, Hey, this guy can possibly be the guy and he gets injured. And we just know kind of the, whole philosophy of the offense isn't something that Dan and I totally agreed with with Jason Garrett. But if this offense in 2021 is similar or the same to 2020, I mean, I would imagine that would ensure that Jason Garrett is not going to be retained or come back. And then with Daniel Jones, are going to have a really, really tough, tough time kind of viewing him as that franchise quarterback, obviously. And I don't yeah. think they'd be able to pick up his fifth year option or anything like that. It would be a, uh, it would be very problematic, I think, is what it would say. And then you would have to start looking at the next draft, say if the Giants finish the top five pick, if there are any quarterbacks that kind of rise like Zach Wilson did this year or Joe Burrow the year before, somebody that we're not really talking about right now, I think the Giants would really have to put some heavy thought into investing in the quarterback position. Yes, Dan, I, I tweeted about this today. I think it, it's definitely a little concerning to me that with Garrett coming back, 
it's going to be very hard in my mind to get a good read after this season. If the offense obviously struggles again, despite the additions they're going to make at wide receiver, you know, they seem to be headed. It seems safe to say right now, at least taking Gettleman based on what he said at um, surface value tonight, that they're going to head into the season with Matt Parrott at right tackle. Um, And so that to me is a bit of concern. He seemed confident they're going to head into it with Shane Lemieux at left guard as well. So with the additions they make, if the offense struggles again, I feel like it's going to be hard to get a good read, Stan, because I did see so many signs of promise with Daniel Jones, considering A, it was his rookie season, and B, I'm sorry, B, within that Pat Shermer system. And then last season, there were some signs of hope in the second half, but overall, as a whole, it wasn't great. It was bleak. It was bleak, and that's a great way to put it. I know me and Nick are a little bit different on this. Um, Nick's a little bit higher than I am on Daniel Jones. I'm not that low on him, though. I still see hope. I still see a tool set that you can work with, but I thought he saw Pat Shermer's system a whole lot better than he sees. um, I'm sorry, than he sees Jason Garrett's system, just vision, just post snap, just how he processes the defense within each system. And it doesn't surprise me because Jason Garrett's system is not a good system in my mind. A lot of the routes are break back toward the quarterback. A lot of the routes don't combine to put pressure and stress on the safety. A lot of the routes are, from the same formation, from the same personnel package. And it's not, it, they don't seem to create a lot of space after the catch. And so it's going to be tough. I'll be honest with you. But for me, as you probably know, Stan, from, from following my work, I'm always looking to at least consider upgrading quarterback. I'm never feeling settled on quarterback until we get our hands on a Deshaun Watson type or a Patrick Mahomes type or someone with serious, serious promise like a Kyler Murray. I'm just never going to feel comfortable because it means everything. Quarterback means everything. I don't care what people tell you. You're not winning Super Bowls without a really, really good quarterback. Now, it's not guaranteed. I mean, you could have guys who rise to the occasion. Eli Manning was an amazing playoff quarterback. He was never really, except for 2011, an amazing regular season quarterback. But in the playoffs, he turned it on. And what did he have? In 2007, he had a great offensive line and a great pass rush. In 2011, he did hero ball it a little more, but he did have a great pass rush for that playoffs, and they got healthy at the right time. So I think Daniel Jones can do it with the right team around him, but if it's another really bad offensive year, I think, and they're picking in the top 10, I will most certainly be looking at quarterbacks. Do you think that they would – let's say that, that that does happen. Terrible yeah. offensive season, top 10 pick, you know, for the, what, third time in four years or whatever it is. Um do you think that they move on from Jones and Garrett at that point? Do they have do, do they have the cojones to do that, or do you think that they bring back one of them and blame it on the other? Well, I would say this, Dan. I think that the I don't want to frame this as good news because it wouldn't be good news if the Giants are picking in the top ten again. I just I don't know how many losing seasons they they that we can expect to be okay with the status quo but i'll say this he's it's obvious that this regime is on the chop with the exception of judge this regime and that means dave gettleman and everyone he brought in with him is on the chopping block right now this is a big season for them if they have another top 10 pick i think gettleman will be gone and gettleman is the main factor in my mind in jones potential extension and a potential extension even for saquon barkley because in my mind i don't know this for sure We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I would guesstimate that coming from that Patriots way, Joe Judge is not too keen on paying a running back 16 to $20 million a year. And that's exactly what Saquon Barkley is going to ask for. And it's exactly what he's going to get, by the way, because Christian McCaffrey got it, got about six, I think, 16 million per year on average with a ton of guaranteed. Barkley's not taking any less than that. So the good news on that front is if they do have another top 10 pick, I think at the very worst, they're bringing in a new mindset, a new regime. And from that point on, they'll make the decisions on Jones, on Barkley extension, on someone like Jason Garrett and things of that nature. And typically, whenever a new regime comes in, they usually want to get their quarterback. So you can kind of infer what that means for Daniel Jones from there. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, before we get started, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or, if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more but that's bwhustle.com slash join okay all right um one more question for you guys and i'll let i'll let someone else come up here um what do you think are the odds that the giants make a big free agent signing like a a 16 million dollar plus a per year for multiple years type of free agent signing this year Hmm. Dan, what do you think? I mean, I'm not overly optimistic about it, but I think, I mean, it's just a lot of it is going to end up coming down to what's the deal they're going to get with Leonard Williams after they, if they land a deal post franchise tag. 
and what's going on with Dalvin Thomas. And my, my mind is kind of focused on that. And they're going to have to figure out what's going on with Zeitler, what's going on with Solder, and how they're going to create space to really afford someone like Kenny Galladay. But, Dan, I'm interested to know what you uh, think with uh, a more cap-fluid mindset. Yeah, I I think they're going to make a very, very, very serious run to sign Kenny Galladay in free agency. I think they're going to be one of the two teams that battles for him. I think they may ultimately lose out, especially if a team like the Dolphins gets interested and involved because they have something the Giants can never offer, which is no state income tax. And we're talking millions and millions of dollars that that will add on to a player. So if the Giants offered the exact same massive deal to Kenny Galladay as the Dolphins, it's essentially like the Dolphins are offering. I don't I don't I don't know taxes that well, but. Uh, multiple million more per season. But like Nick said, I mean, everybody said this last year. The Giants were cap-strapped. They had sold her on the books, blah, 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 blah. They still had Eli, some dead money, I believe, from Eli Manning's contract on the books. There was coming off. And there was actually a little bit of dead cap, I'm pretty sure. I'm not. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure there was. And there was still some dead cap from prior trades. And yet they go out and they make James Bradbury a 17 or, or whatever it is, million-dollar-per-year player. They signed Blake Martinez to $10 million per year. And then they signed Logan Ryan to 7.5. So ultimately, I think they can for sure fit it. I mean, like I said earlier when I was talking to David, the cap's going to rise to $250 million in five years. That's what they're projecting. One. Two, the Giants have about $90 million in cap space in 2022. They can dip into any of that anytime they want. Three, they have even more in 2023. So ultimately, it's going to be up to them if they can make it work. But I think they're going to make a push for Galladay. I don't know if anyone else would factor in their minds. Um, I'd have to really consider and look into, I don't, I feel like just based on what we've seen from Patrick Graham's system and Joe judge coming from the Patriots and Nick, you can, you can tap in here if you disagree with this, but I don't think they're going to be the type of team that spends big on an edge because I think they believe they can use different players and a wide variety of different players at that second level to generate pressure on third downs, generating in different ways, using multiple blitzes from different angles and things of that nature. So I don't see it at edge. I don't see it at corner because they just spent one on Bradbury. And I don't see them doing it the tackle route either. And now that Taylor Moten's been, re- uh, I'm sorry, franchise tagged, there's really no one worth spending on. So if they're going to make a splash, Dan, I think it would be Galladay. I agree. And that's kind of what I was also alluding to. Galladay would be the target. I ultimately think he's going to end up going to one of those Florida teams because of everything you laid out, Dan. And I agree with everything you said about Patrick Graham's system and the current edge class with the caveat that Hassan Reddick is somebody I think that will interest them. Yes, 100%. But I, yeah. I would hope they could get him a little cheaper. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'd be a, a big fan of, of going the Reddick route over the wide receiver route, you know, overpaying Galladay. But I've never been a huge Galladay fan, so what can I say? Fair enough. Awesome, Stan. Thanks for jumping on, bud. All right. Thanks for the good work, guys. Keep it up. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it, man. All right. Let's see who we got next. And a reminder, everybody, if you want to jump in on this on this live show and, and ask us a question or just chop it up with us, Hit that microphone button, button, I'm sorry, at the bottom right of your screen, then request to speak, and we'll get to you in order. So Lucas is up next. Lucas joined the show last weekend, which was awesome. He joined my bandwagon of just totally smashing Nick for just an <laughs> atrocious, and it, honestly, it was an offensive take. It was offensive to say that Recovery was Eminem's best album. It, having never listened to Slim Shady LP, having never listened to Marshall, Marshall Mathers LP, I've never even Mathers. heard of Infinite, and... <laughs> Lucas, please jump back on. Context is completely lost here. It wasn't even a take. I was under the assumption because I, I was just proving my ignorance. That's worse. That's worse that you thought that that was. Oh my god! Because Lucas, I'm uneducated on the topic, and Lucas, I'm, and that... back me up here, please. <laughs> 
You guys are ridiculous. I, I, I can't say which is worse, but uh, <laughs> have you done your homework yet, Nick? No, I haven't had the time to dig deep into that, but I'll get there for you guys. All right, all right. I'm going to keep putting pressure on you to, 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 to <laughs> listen to those. Awesome, man. How you doing, Lucas? Not so bad. So uh, going off of uh, Gettleman's presser today, um, Dan, you tweeted out before the presser that you think the Giants should and will dip into uh, future capital to kick that cap can down the road while we don't pay Barkley yet and DJ is uh, still on his rookie deal. Um, but then when Gettleman got to the presser, uh, he didn't sound too keen on any uh, – when the question was asked about uh, restructuring uh, guys um, on deals now, uh, what do you what do you take of uh, his talk? Is that just GM speak? Is he, or do you really think that uh, he's not he's not gonna want to um, try to restructure anyone's deal like uh, a Bradbury or Bradbury or Martinez um, to get more um, cash for uh, this off season? No, I mean you totally you totally nailed it, Lucas. I'm I'm definitely a bit nervous having heard his comments today. He not only said that um, he doesn't believe one thing he said that I just completely wholeheartedly disagree with is that he doesn't believe in the rookie. Uh, I'm sorry, the quarterback rookie contract window. Meanwhile, I mean, ask ask the Seattle Seahawks if that's a real thing. Ask the uh, Los Angeles Rams before said had to pay Jared Goff and they made a Super Bowl with him on his rookie deal. And the Seahawks who haven't won a Super Bowl or even gotten there. I believe, since since Russell Wilson came off that rookie deal. The rookie deal window is a real thing, whether Gettleman wants to acknowledge it or not. And it, it, it makes me a little nervous, Lucas, because I think it's possible. He even said, you know, I want to try to spread these contracts out evenly so we don't yeah. have to kick the can. And he and I think he might feel a little bit burnt by the Nate Solder contract, which, by the way, you know, if COVID doesn't happen, it's off the books entirely for this year. You don't have to worry about it at all. There's no six, seven mil dead cap, depending on if you want to make it a post-June one cut. I mean, it would have been fully off the books by this point. I feel like it's kind of dragging. He feels a little bit burned by it. And he kind of is one of those GMs that doesn't want to, and he's, he's very reactionary in my mind. And he feels like, I don't want to make the same mistake again with a soldier. But ultimately, you're falling behind in my mind as a general manager if you're not going to kick the can. I mean, just look at what the Saints have done. They've been in supposed cap hell since 2014. And it was all supposed to come to a head this offseason. And then today, they somehow have the cap space to franchise tag Marcus Williams. It's it's really just miraculous. And the way I look at it is this. If you are a kick-the-can type of uh, kick-the-can-down-a-road type of team, the worst-case scenario, Lucas, this is the absolute worst-case scenario. The worst-case scenario is you kick it all to one year, you bottom out for that year, and you end up with the top five draft pick because you can't, you can't build a competitive roster. Isn't that better anyway? Like, is, If you have that one bad year and then you end up getting a Trevor Lawrence or a Joe Burrow out of it, ultimately it might even end up being better for you. So um, uh, obviously you know where I stand on that, but I, I, I do believe it's potentially just GM speak. I mean, last year, the Giants, again, like I said, were supposedly strapped against the cap, and then they go out and sign a James Bradbury, a Blake Martinez, a Logan Ryan. So everything I've seen from this team since Kevin Abrams has taken over has been that they're actually a very cap-savvy team. I think Abrams is one of the best people they have in that front office. I think he does an excellent job manipulating the salary cap. They don't go to a crazy extent like the Saints, and they would. If Eli Manning was still here in his prime, they would. If they had that quarterback, they would. But I do ultimately think that they will be a little bit more aggressive than Gettleman kind of led on. I don't know where you stand on this one, Nick. No, I tend to agree, but I kind of think Dave Gettleman is, I mean, he might be trying to be coy 
here with this, but he said the goal to best manage the cap is to get these flat contracts. And he kind of poo-pooed the idea of kicking it, kicking the can down the line and restructuring and stuff like that. I mean, that wasn't really an encouraging uh, sign from Dave Gettleman. He just, the way he was talking, it didn't seem like it was something he'd entertain. But again, like you kind of just alluded to, Kevin Abrams is the guy who really has a heavy say in what happens with the cap. And if that's something he wants to do, I think Dave Gettleman would listen to him. You think uh, more level heads will prevail with uh, Kevin Abrams back there and Judge um, pushing uh, Gettleman to be more progressive in uh, his approach? I think it's more collective, to be honest. I know Dan and I have talked about this a little bit on the podcast, but I believe Joe Judge, the coaching staff, the entire front office, all the scouts, they kind of all have a say in what's going to happen with this franchise. Ultimately, it's going to come down to Dave Gettleman because he is the general manager, but I do believe it's more collective. Yeah, me and Nick actually disagree a tiny bit on that. Uh, Just from some conversations I've had with one, a former GM, then one, a former NFL coach, I think it's a lot less, not a lot less, but maybe a little bit less collective than Nick would think. And obviously, neither of us us, uh, know for sure with with regard to that, but ultimately, I think it does come down to the GM from everything that I've heard. I know, but it, well, every situation is different. So sure. every front office is going to be different and handle those things in a different manner. I just think Joe Judge honestly has more, I don't want to say power in the sense of who's making the decisions, but at the end of the day, D- Dave Gettleman is going to be gone far before Joe Judge does. And that's, I believe, what the Giants ownership, that's the understanding there, that this is Joe Judge's team. Yeah, yeah it, it, it seems like it's a little bit more of a collective deal with if you just see how the Giants have approached the off seasons and Gettleman's first two years compared to last year, it seemed like the way they went at it um, was more collective with Judge having more of a say than I think Shermer did. But even like the players they get. Even back then, though, Lucas, I mean, Kareem Martin, Antoine Bethea, those were all signings for the coaching staff. So Gettleman yeah, had yeah, always yeah. been a a general manager that wanted to do that for the specific coaching staffs and bring those kind of guys in for his coaches. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, one, uh, one last uh, quick reaction take uh, uh, before I hop off is, uh, what'd you guys think of that little spat with uh, Kim Jones and uh, DG? <laughs> uh, it got, it got a little heated there, didn't it, Dan? Yeah, it was pretty interesting to see. Um, I know, um, friend of the show bobby skinner tweeted out the the video of it for those who missed it if you want to check out his twitter account uh i mean listen kim jones i feel like has had a little bit of issues with dg for a while basically since the odell beckham trade she's a big fan of odell beckham i think they have a big relationship off the field i remember when kim jones got really sick odell beckham was uh you know there for her and kind of a big friend in that regard and that's not that's pretty rare i mean i don't think you usually see athletes reach out to media members when they're going through a tough time like that. So I think ultimately that rubbed her the wrong way, the fact that he traded Odell Beckham Jr. Um, So, yeah, it seems like it kind of came to a head. I mean, as far as what she said versus what he said, I I, I think ultimately I kind of side a little bit more with him. Like, who cares? Like, we don't need to worry about semantics, be saying the offensive line is young or not. It doesn't matter. Um, (laughs) So it just seems like a a, a bit of a, oh, maybe an odd thing to get get, uh, worked up about. Yeah, I think uh, they kind of both are right in the sense that uh, it doesn't really matter that uh, if they're young or not. But also at the same time, it, it, they're all his. They're all his O line that he's put there. It's not like he's trying to replace anybody who was there before him. It's basically all his decisions and trying to rebuild or fix the rebuild uh, of what he's created. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, trust me, you don't have to tell me that twice. I'm not going to defend what he's done. He's poured a lot of resources into his offensive line, and yet it was still ranked 31st last offseason. And he's supposed to be the offensive line guru. So the, you're not you're not going to find a don't you know, you know better than that to think that I, you're going to get a <laughs> supporter at me. All righty, Lucas. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, yep, thank you guys for jumping on. All right, let's see who's next. And remember, if anybody wants to jump on, we still got another 15 minutes here. If anyone wants to jump on and speak, just make sure you hit that microphone button in the bottom right of your speak. I'm um, sorry, the bottom right of your screen, and you can request to speak, and we will go from there. So, looks like Dom's up next. What's going on, Dom? Thanks for joining us again. Hey, Dom. You there, Dom? Looks like he might not be on on the app anymore. We'll give Don a few more seconds here to. Uh, to jump in in the meantime actually let's get our buddy victor in. and if dom if you come back just let us know and you can hang out and, and, and ask the next question victor you there with us yes i am thanks very much for taking the call hello to everybody here i'll make it fast so you, you can pop in a few more calls um kind of a, oh by the way my daughter is going to osu sorry dan <laughs> sorry. all right it's all right i i know i knew it was coming I knew it was coming. I'm just going to have to accept that. I still like you, even despite that fact. You're a good guy. You're a good guy. Um, <laughs> this might be a tough one just off the top of your head, but, you know, looking at the Giants 2020 draft and the guys they brought in, if you had to compare that with how their other division rivals did in their draft, what would you say? Did the Giants do better than the Eagles, Cowboys in Washington, about the same? Thinking about the Eagles draft, obviously they poured a second-round pick into the quarterback position, but now that guy is going to be the starting quarterback. Jalen Rager was hurt much of the year, so they didn't get yeah. a lot out of the wide receiver position. And then their third-round pick was the linebacker out of Colorado, Davion Taylor, more of a raw athletic type of linebacker didn't really see him all that much throughout the season so the Eagles it's definitely still up in the air and a lot of it's going to come down to Jalen Hurts because remember the Eagles they need cornerback help they need cornerback help bad and the kid from LSU Christian Fulton was still on the board at that time and they passed him for Hurts but obviously everything is up to whatever Jalen Hurts is going to do as for the Dallas Cowboys Trayvon Diggs had his downs and his downs and then he had his ups towards the end of the year and then you have Tyler Biotish they ended up getting the fourth round looks like he can end up being a solid starter for them I know Dan loves that aspect and uh, looking at the Giants I mean they got effective players all throughout their draft the Giants had a really really good 2020 draft they invested in the offensive line something we've been pounding the table for but now they need to go out and they need to get some skilled position players they bolstered their linebacking core got a bunch of core type of special teams guys and you look at the Washington football team, I mean, Chase Young, that's yeah. kind of hard to disagree with. Antonio Gibson, huge contributor, both in the run and the pass game. And then you have guys like Sadiq Charles. Can he be a starter? He was solid at LSU, won a national title down there. Antonio Gandy-Golden, we didn't really see that much from. And then Keith Ishmael, the kid from San Diego State, who I liked at the senior bowl, I don't think he ended up seeing the field too much. And if he did, I don't know his impact because I didn't watch all the Washington games. But looking at collectively, I mean, the Giants had a really, really good 2020. I don't think we can really take much away from Dave Gettleman in terms of that specific year. Now we just need them to keep growing within the system. Patrick Graham, Jason Garrett, and Joe Judge. So by year three and four, we're talking about a second contract and not, oh, these guys are going to be off the team. Yeah, I think the Giants had the best draft. You know, just – I. I I wouldn't trade the Giants draft for anybody else's. Yeah, I think yeah, that's, Victor, I yeah, I mean, the way I look at it is this, Victor. I don't want to judge any draft class one year after it happened. I'll ne I, I think it's a almost a fool's errand from that standpoint. But I will say this. 
I think it was by far and away the best process by far that Gettleman's had in any draft with the Giants. For starters, he didn't go running back. He didn't use a 17th overall pick on an interior defensive lineman. He took really important positions that can really impact what matters, the passing game. He took two tackles. That's huge. And it was a tackle class that was really strong. Somehow this class is, it appears to be even stronger, at least you know uh, from a depth standpoint within that top 50 than last year's tackle class, which is why I'm still considering dipping back into that well. But I love that. And then in the second round, he took a player who should have gone in the first round who immediately will impact the passing game. Super important. And then most importantly, with regards to his process and how it played out, on day three, he had a ton of picks for the first time ever since Gettleman took over. Remember, year one, Gettleman, I think he only had a fourth and fifth round pick year one. <laughs> or maybe one more pick that he dumped on somebody. I think it was actually only a fourth and fifth round pick, Walletta and R.J. McIntosh. So he finally had a ton of darts to throw on day three of the 2020 draft. And what happened? You find a Tay Crowder. You find a Shane Lemieux. That's the type of thing that's going to happen when you have more chances on those late round guys where most of them are busts. If you look across the NFL – the chances of day three players actually hitting and contributing are super low. So what do you want? You want more dart throws. So I actually agree with you, Victor. Um, I think it has a very good chance to be the best class in the NFC East. And I loved his process. I thought it was by far and away the best process he's had in any draft. And that's why I'm optimistic this year is I like their draft class. I think he did well in free agent last year. That's why I'm optimistic. So, all right, I'll let someone else jump on. You guys are great. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Take care. Yeah, but you can't forget about C.D. Lamb, too, Dan. I mean, that was a huge one. Yep, no doubt about it. All right, looks like I'm trying to get Dom, and it looks like we got Dom. And Dom, can we hear you now? Yeah, I think we can What's hear you now, Daniel? Dom. What's going on? All right, so so my question is, Nick seems like he doesn't think that, that the Giants are going to make a big move. You think that they're just going to go after Galladay. If they don't sign Galladay, what do you what do you see them doing? That's a great question, actually. Um if they miss on Galladay, let's say, that's when I think you're going to see them get into more of that second and third tier range of regency. Now, if they do miss on Galladay, I think that may ultimately be their best bet to kind of play the value game and be in on that second and third wave of free agency. Because if not, you're going to end up, I mean, it, you never know. Like last, I'll be honest with you, Dom. Last offseason, I didn't predict they would sign James Bradbury. I didn't really see that one coming. Now, Looking back on it, hindsight, it's a little bit easier to see because Dave Gettleman drafted James Bradbury, but it wasn't something I could have foreseen before it actually happened. So you never know if there's a guy they and, and remember, before Bradbury signed with the Giants, multiple people would have said, wow, that's a huge contract to give out to James Bradbury. And ultimately, they were right. I mean, they nailed it. He was a perfect fit for Patrick Graham's system. And he was ultimately an even better player with the Giants than he was with the Panthers. And again, still young. So... It, it's interesting, you know, a player like, you know, if you look at the receiver side, a player like Curtis Samuel or a player like Corey Davis could certainly be intriguing. Maybe they look in that direction. Maybe they look that route. But I'm hoping that if they don't go after, you know, if they don't win on that Galladay bidding war, they actually play the second and third wave of free agency. Second, yeah, but I don't, I think, I think the issue with doing that in terms, in terms of wide receivers, I, I, I don't want to get another average guy like a Golden Tate. And uh, I'm concerned that a Curtis Samuel is not enough of what we we need in that spot. I think the interesting name, Dom, would be Corey Davis. Yeah, would- that's, that's exactly that's exactly what I was what I was thinking. But if they had one big, I, I know that you're against. I know that both of you are against it because you're you're against spending big on edge. But if they had one big move to make, to me, it's either Galladay 
or just go big at edge and then just go with go with wide receiver in the first round. I'd rather have Dupree or Barrett or or um, Reddick or Judon than have a Samuel or Corey Davis because I think what what you can get out of, out of a first wide, first round wide receiver is better than than what you would get out of a Corey Davis. And then that combination of who, who they would take in the first round, if if they don't take a wide receiver. So like what I'm saying is I, I'd rather one of the edges and a Waddle or Devontae Smith as opposed to a Corey Davis and something else in the first round. Unless they went, but then the whole thing would be, what if they went with another, if you're insinuating that they would go edge in the first round, like that's something that Dan and I aren't necessarily. No, 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 no. Yeah. no. I'm saying edge, edge and free agency if they don't get Galladay and then go edge and free agency. If I'm assuming that like Galladay doesn't sign, he's my biggest one. If they don't yeah. get him, I would go edge and free agency and then wide receiver in the first round. The only other thing I'd be okay with is if they went Corey Davis in the first uh, free agency and a Rashawn Slater at 11. Yeah, Rashawn Slater at 11. I mean, I still haven't gotten to his tape yet, but man, I'm I'm really interested to get to it. He's kind of blowing up all over Twitter right now, and so many people that I respect in the industry are really gassing him up and talking him up. So he's definitely somebody that I think Dan would agree. We would both be very interested in him at 11 to really bolster this offensive line. But then you got Gettleman coming out saying that he's incredibly confident in that pair going into the season. Is that just speak because Jordan Ronan asked him that and he doesn't want to say, yeah, no, I'm not confident in him, you know? So well, it's he going might to... just be saying that because, exactly, because, yeah. because of Soldier and he, he knows he's going to, he's going to cut him soon. And he, and he, they might be saying that because if, Slater's not there at 11 and he picks a guy like Sertain or, or Parsons. He, he doesn't want people to think that he's not happy with him. But I, I'm just concerned about Corey Davis that, I mean, he got really quiet in some big games. And I think that, I think that Galladay could be the difference. I think that he could be, he could be Daniel Jones's Plaxico. Yeah, listen, the way I see it, Dom, I think you're spot on here with, in a lot, in a lot of the points you just made, um, for starters, I would agree with you, Daniel Jones. It, the perfect fit for Daniel Jones would be a Kenny Galladay or a Kyle Pitts or a Jamar Chase. Those are, to me, what are the perfect fits for not only Daniel Jones, but for the Jason Garrett offense. And like it or not, this is the offense that we're stuck with for at least 2021. And in that kind of offense, you need a big body X, in my mind at least, and especially for Daniel Jones, who does like to you know see those one-on-ones and put the ball up in contested catch situations with potential back shoulder type fade plays and just plays that Kenny got, we know Kenny Galladay can make. But my whole take on this, Dom, would be I understand all the hype and the upside and the ceiling regarding all these potential receivers in the draft. But I also know that receivers, especially from rookie receivers, they can take some time to develop. They can take some time to become dominant in the league even if they look so dominant on paper. So to me, when you go after a guy like Galladay, if you're lucky enough to get one, you have a proven commodity already. Now, as far as Davis goes, you made some good points. I mean, I literally won my big my big league fantasy championship fantasy alert for those of you who listen to the podcast and know that we've gotten some negative reviews for even saying one word about fantasy. But I won my championship because he put up a goose egg in week 16 or whatever it was. So I agree with you. He hasn't shown up in big spots. 
I'm going to be a little bit higher than you are, I believe, just based on what I've heard. On a player like Curtis Samuel, I think that his separation skills are really underrated. I think in 2019, he was an incredible deep route runner, and he just there was no quarterback to get him the ball there. So he's winning vertically. He's winning underneath. He can be used in a variety of ways. I don't think he's an excellent fit for Jason Garrett's offense, but ultimately, if you're signing any of these guys in free agency, you're allocating guaranteed cap space to them. So they're going to have to be with you for two or three years. And ultimately, I don't really see Garrett with this team past next season unless he can pull off some kind of miracle. Um, and I'm not so first, I'm not so sure I see that coming on the offensive side of the ball. So, so yeah, so for me, it's a little bit more of a long-term thinking, I guess I would say. And I'm not – I also – got to know this, Dom. I'm not a huge believer that wide receiver is one of those positions you have to have to have. I'm a much bigger believer in, in quarterback, offensive line, pass rush, and more, more recently for me, at least, pass coverage. That's become even but at the, more important. But at the same time, though, I do, I do agree. But at the same time, you know, as, as much as you guys said that Jones – doesn't get through his progressions fast enough, I think he would go through them a little bit faster if guys were getting open. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no doubt about it. And I, I, I don't know if I want to say, I don't think Nick and, and I don't want to speak for Nick here, but I don't think either of us think we necessarily believe Daniel Jones was, at all times wasn't getting through his progressions fast enough. I think more so it's kind of he was locking in on that first read, that pre-snap read, and just going with it. That's a little bit different, I think, than not getting through his progressions. I think ultimately it's a different system. I mean, Pat Shermer's system in year one for Jones, he read the field high to low, and that's really the best way for, in my mind, for you to teach quarterbacks, and that's really the best kind of system, reading the field high to low. I don't think Jones looked as good when he was reading kind of the full field and and whatever was going on in that offense. So I don't want to speak for you, Nick, but do you feel like, I guess, adding a big-time separation receiver would, would make the big difference here? I think it would definitely make a difference, but I also feel like Kenny Galladay would make a gigantic difference as well. We yeah. know Dan Jones' propensity to air the ball out, trust his one-on-one. We saw it countless times in Pat Shermer's scheme with Darius Slayton when they were both rookies. He would air it out one-on-one coverage and allow his receiver to make a play. I think Kenny Galladay could be one of the better receivers in the league at doing it. He already is, and I think he would mesh really well with Daniel Jones. But at the same time, someone even like Curtis Samuel, who's more of a separation guy, I think you can get him at a discount because, like you said, Dan, 2019, he wasn't playing with a great quarterback. Last year, he was with Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore. Teddy Bridgewater underperformed. So I don't know how much he's going to garner on the open market. And honestly, I think he could be a, a pretty decent steal. I mean, this guy had four three one speed, I think it was, at the combine. He can really create separation horizontally yeah. and vertically. I think he's just an underrated type of receiver now. Again, he's like five foot 11, 190 pounds. He's not the biggest type of guy, but I do believe that he could be a solid addition. Yeah, I do think there's a world here where, and it's it's going to sound crazy to some people because there's obviously all this hype surrounding these guys, they're rookies, but there's a world here where Curtis Samuel ultimately ends up being an arbitrage an arbitrage player, equally as good or maybe even better because honestly he does look really good on NFL tape, not college tape against college corners on NFL tape creating separation where he can be an arbitrage play for any of these guys, the the Smiths, the Waddles, the Rondell Moores, the Elijah Moores. So to me. If you get a Galladay, if you get a Curtis Samuel, those would probably be my top two targets now that Allen Robinson has been franchise tagged. And I still haven't given up on Corey Davis, to be honest. I had such a high grade on him coming out. I can't give up on a player like that just because after playing in a run-first system in Tennessee. But, you know, I'm with you there. I I like the idea of receiver most in free agency because it allows you so much more flexibility at 11. And then they could go after a Parsons or get that. Or trade down. Or trade down. I mean, I, I would love it, but it's not going to happen with Dave Gettleman. I mean, I'd love it, but 
or trade down potentially, I guess. I feel like I would be more more okay with a with a Samuel if that's not all they do. Like if they, if he came cheaper and sure, that allowed sure. them to get a second a second corner or or Van Noy or an edge at the same right. time. But him being the only free agent addition would would be very very underwhelming. I think that's fair. I hear you. Yeah, thanks, Dom. Totally fair. All right, thanks for joining us, Dom. That's actually all the time we got for tonight, everyone. It looks like no more speaker requests, so I, I, hopefully we got to all your questions. A lot of people listening in the room, so thank you for joining in. If you want to join in the discussion next time, go ahead, hit that speaker button, request to speak. Otherwise, have a great rest of your night, and we will talk to you guys soon.